Bow our heads now in a moment of quiet prayer. Loving Lord, what a privilege it is to come and take your word and to know that it has all the answers for living and all the answers for dying too. And we praise you for all that you are prepared to teach us this time of thanksgiving. As we turn now to your word, be pleased, dear Lord, Often we expose our brains to truth and we store up knowledge in our minds like squirrels store up nuts. Then we forget it. May we expose our hearts to truth. Lord, many of us here will be hearers of the word. But we need above all else to be doers of your word. May we put feet on our faith. May we turn belief into behavior so that our lives could be transformed. And we might be what you would want us to be. And so, our Father, we prepare to hear from you words that could change our lives. And we ask this prayer, expecting nothing but blessing. For we ask it through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It's important to remember that, you know, we, those of us who come to conferences like this, we keep on exposing our brains. And we store stacks of knowledge, but we don't turn belief into behavior. And that's why some of us live the defeated lives that we do. Uh, you needn't call out or raise your hand up, but here's a question. Are you really satisfied with the quality of Christian life you're living now? Or do you feel there's something more? If you had to fill uh, papers up, as these folks were doing this morning, I would think many of you would say, yes, uh, uh, I'm a Christian, but uh, I think there's something more. And wherever I travel in this world, I meet pastors and Christian workers and missionaries and believers who are unsettled and unsatisfied with the quality of life that they're living. Maybe this is you. You feel there's something missing. So this series, I have eight messages, longer than most series. I have a series of eight, and I'm going to speak about what might be missing in your Christian life. Each one will be a missing something. Tonight I want to talk about the missing experience in the life of the believer. See, most of you are hard nuts that come into conferences, and you've been exposed time and time again. Truth almost bounces off your heads when you hear it, because you know it. And that's so dangerous. Christine was thinking the other day in the course of a conversation, what must it be like for an adult or someone to hear the Bible, read the Bible for the very first time, and to hear truth for the very first time? You couldn't remember. You've heard it so much, and you folks who are torchbearers, you get steeped in it. And that's a danger. We become experts in doctrines and the rest of it. And even so, there could be something missing in our life. And so this missing experience, these dear folk, as they sang, especially my New Zealand friend, when Andy led his harem to sing this... Uh, <laughs> This song that they did, they had the chorus I wanted. If I'd had to choose a chorus, I would have chosen this. But I wasn't quite certain what to speak on until about an hour ago. 
And I was thinking in my room, and then uh, when I heard them quote the scriptures and sing the song, I felt an inward joy in my heart. And I'm turning to the same chapter that they had, Colossians chapter 2. Out of the mouth of two witnesses, you see, it makes good sense. Uh, if my uh, translations sound different from yours, I'm reading one which is uh, a translation translated out of the original tongues and with the former translations diligently compared and revised. Do you know what that is? It's a King James, that's right. Did you know that? Did you know the King James was the former translations diligently compared and revised? The King James is a revised version. It's a comparative version. It turns to other translations. Some folk think that the King James is the one that Paul wrote. No, it's... Uh... <laughs> Look in Colossians chapter 2. I've given you the information in case you wonder where I got my translation from. Paul's writing... For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you, and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as haven't seen my face in the flesh. You see, he was writing to people he hadn't seen. They didn't have tapes in those days. They didn't have books in those days. And he was trying to communicate with people he had never seen. These Colossians, he'd never seen them. So he says that your hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. Then this tremendous, verse 6, I'll refer to this, I'm sure, several times this week. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. That's the second most important verse in my Christian experience, verse 6. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Then... The, these words were, these two verses were read to us. And notice how impossible they are. Don't try to understand them, you can't. It's one of those tremendous impossible to understand verses. For in him, in Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All that there is in, in God is in Christ. All that there is in the whole Godhead is in Christ. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's an amazing verse. And verse 10, Colossians 2.10, is equally challenging. And you are complete in him. Now, if you're a Christian, and you've trusted the Lord as your own personal Savior, you are complete in him. When you study your Bible, always uh, notice the tenses of the verbs. They're very important. This is very important here. 
It doesn't say you will be complete. There are many folk who think that when they get to heaven, they'll be complete when they get to heaven. You won't. You are complete now in Christ. It says so. In Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. All that there is in God is in Christ. All that there is in Christ is in you. And you are complete. The day you trusted Christ as your own personal Savior, God gave you Christ to indwell you by His Holy Spirit. God has nothing more for you as long as you live. He gave you Christ. He couldn't give you any more. You couldn't get by on any less. And it's a tremendously challenging thought that the day you trusted Christ weeks, months, years ago, God gave you Christ to indwell you by His Holy Spirit, and He has nothing more for you. You were complete on the day you were saved. You are complete in Christ. I'm saying this because I'm talking about the missing experience. This message tonight is the missing experience in the life of the believer. And I, wherever I go, I find pastors and people who feel unsatisfied, uh, something's missing, pastors searching for a kind of program which will uh, energize the church, people searching for new experiences. If only I could talk in tongues, if only I could do divine healing, if only I could do this, I'd be, I, I'd be complete. You wouldn't be, because you are complete in Christ. See, if you have a glass of water which is completely full, you can't add to it. You know, the thing is so simple. Many of these tremendous truths in the Word of God are so simple. The trouble with most of us is that we're educated, or even to a slight degree. You see, in our Lord's day, the common people heard Him gladly. It was the educated people who wouldn't listen. Or if they listened, they didn't understand. We want a Ph.D. faith. And it, God didn't plan it that way. I remember once uh, when I was preaching uh, years ago now in England, after I had finished speaking the gospel in a very simple way, a man going out spoke to me. And uh, incidentally, this, this incident is in Billy Graham's latest book. I, I didn't realize this till somebody showed me. I told this story, and somebody told Billy Graham, he put it in his book under my name too, but this is, the, you needn't buy the book, here's the story. Uh, I was saying goodbye to folks going out, and this man spoke to me. He was obviously very educated, and he had several doctorates, I think. And he said, you know, if I could understand what you're talking about, I'd become a Christian. And he was quite serious. I said, you really mean that? He said, if I could understand what you're talking about, I'd become a Christian. I said, now listen, I have a son. I've got three sons, but one of my sons is a missionary in Ethiopia. And he's working with tribal people, people who will never learn to read or write, never have any education at all. And the gospel is for them. Now, I said, just think, if you had to understand the gospel, you'd become a Christian. He said, yes. Well, how about people with no education? How could they ever become Christians? And he said, you know, I never thought about that. I said, no, but God did. It isn't complicated. We try to make it complicated. 
And this is the simplicity. You are complete in Christ. Don't go chasing for any other experience. You may find an experience. It won't improve your, your Christian life. It may lead you off in a tangent. You may miss the centrality of Christ. If you think you found something super extra which takes you away from the centrality of Christ, you're off on a tangent. And instead of being complete and experiencing completeness, you will move off into areas of uncertainty, greater uncertainty. You are complete in Christ for time and for eternity, for living and for dying. And the moment you were saved, that very moment, God gave you Christ. He couldn't give you any more. You couldn't get by on any less. The great thing is to understand what there is in Christ. We limit God in so many different ways. And one of the ways we limit God is to cut down the Lord Jesus. We get a mini-Jesus. And we try to live the Christian life with a mini-Jesus. And then we have a mini-experience which leaves us totally unsatisfied. I want to turn you now to a scripture I was sharing with the students earlier this morning. I'll be covering some of the same ground, but in a different way. I'm looking in Romans chapter 5. And I'm introducing you to a bunch of nobodies who lived complete lives. We're looking at people who lived in the day of the early church... And we're going to find the kind of lives they lived day by day. We'll see the quality of their lives. Then we'll see what their actual faith was that enabled them to live those lives. I think you will find when I show you the kind of lives that they live, that in one sense um, they, they have something you haven't got. You see, these people lived in the days of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was a totalitarian state. And more than half of the people who lived in the Roman Empire were slaves. Did you know that? If you and I had lived in the Roman Empire, probably we would have been slaves too. In the Roman Empire, you could be a business executive and be a slave. Be a medical doctor and be a slave. Be a school teacher and be a slave. The Roman Empire, so powerful, Pax Romana, was built on terrible slavery. And that's why if you check through uh, some of Paul's writings, he talks about things, things. Now, when he's talking about things, that's an ambiguous word. Because if you read in the book, say, of a, a Roman farmer taking his stock-taking, he'll talk about his four-legged cattle and his two-legged cattle. And his two-legged cattle are people like you and me. They were things. They were non-persons. Imagine being a non-person, being a thing. And many of the folks in the early church, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Many were things. And the amazing thing to me is, they lived complete lives. And as we saw this morning when we were talking on this same subject or a similar subject, they had no Bibles, were still being written, they had no hymn books, they certainly had no conference centers. 
and yet somehow they coped with life. They were, the Christian church grew up in a totalitarian state. Some people are bothered how, uh, how you could be a Christian in a, in a communist state. The, the Christian faith began in a totalitarian state. The Roman Empire had the finest KGB in the world of those days. And yet they grew and they prospered. And their enemies said they turned the world upside down without Bibles, without hymn books, without conferences, without seminaries, without Bible schools. It sounds uncanny. Yet they did. Because they were living complete lives. You don't have to be wealthy to live a complete life. You don't have to be healthy. You can be crippled. You can be stricken with malignancy. You can be... Uh, well, think of the people who are living in some of the countries now. I mentioned this morning about Ethiopia. We know a little about Ethiopia, having been there several times, having had a son who was a missionary there for 17 years with tribal people. I mentioned to the students this morning, did you know that since Mengistu took over, he's the Marxist ruler the Ethiopian Marxist ruler in Ethiopia. About three and a half million Christians have died in Ethiopia. Three and a half million through disease, through famine, starvation and death and imprisonment and torture and war. And yet the strange thing is the Christian church in Ethiopia is growing by leaps and bounds. And many can't read and many have no Bibles. See, they're, they're simple people who believe what the Bible says and act on what they hear. See, we, we, we want to rationalize. Rationalizing is the cursor of many of us. We say, how, why, when? Well, let, let, me, let me figure it out. And when we start doing that, we all, all, almost automatically cut off the supply of life to our own hearts. Christine and I have been with people, wonderful, lovely ex-pagans, who couldn't read and write, but uh, their joy on their face was transfiguring. Because they were told it, they said, God says it, we believe it, and that's it. Simplicity of faith. Now, these people in Romans 5, many of them were simple people. Now, read through as I go with you and notice the kind of lives they had and see if you have this kind of a life even today in this society with all the turkey you can eat or shouldn't eat, shall I say, and uh, all the affluence we have. Therefore, being justified by faith, that's how you became a Christian, by faith, we have peace. We have peace. Now, how many of you listening to me now or later on by tape, one of the things lacking in your life is peace. Do you have turmoil and unrest and fear and pressure? You're a child of God, and yet peace is the last thing you have. Unless it's a case for medical treatment. Peace doesn't come through tranquilizers. Medical treatment, I'm, I'm sure, can help people very often when they need it. But I have found so much these last few months 
It's conscious. Uh, I'm conscious of it. Many of us have never given the Lord Jesus one chance to be God in our lives. We play God. We make all the decisions. We live the Christian life or we try to. In other words, Christ isn't big enough. He needs us. I am complete with Christ and with me. When I can balance off Jesus and me, then I'll be okay. But I'm not complete in Jesus and me. I'm complete only in Christ. How big is your Jesus? See, everything depends on the size of your Jesus. You'll see what I'm talking of later on in a moment. Reading on, uh, verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith, by faith, into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice. They could stand and they could rejoice. The word stand in the Greek there doesn't mean I'm standing now, but it doesn't mean like I'm standing here. It means standing with your fists up, or better still, as a Roman soldier. Your shield, your helmet, your breastplate, your sword, and standing. It doesn't matter what they throw at you or hurl at you, you can stand. Now, many people with whom I counsel, they don't stand. They spend their Christian life picking themselves up off the floor, time and time again. And yet you are complete in Christ. You have all that it takes for standing. And for peace. And you haven't got peace and you can't stand. These people had joy. That's such a missing ingredient today. People are chasing happiness. Make sure you understand the difference between happiness and joy. Happiness happens. It depends upon circumstances. It comes and goes. You can understand it well if you think of the surface of the sea or the ocean. When it's a lovely calm day and the sun is shining, the surface of the sea or the ocean, little tiny waves are twinkling in the sun. It's a happy service, very happy because all the conditions are right. But you get a storm coming in and these, this same surface can rise 10, 20, 30, 40, 100 feet high, black and gloomy and tossed and turmoil. There's no happiness there. But in the most severe storm, you can go several fathoms below the surface and it's absolutely calm. There's no storm several feet down, no waves. Now, the surface is happiness or lack of happiness and down below is joy. You don't find much talking about happiness in the Bible. These folks might have had much happiness, but they had an awful lot of joy. Now, we today have little joy and we go chasing happiness. See, they had peace. They could stand. They had joy. Not only so, but we glory in tribulation. Tribulation. They found glory in tribulation. Tribulation in the King James is a very wonderful word. It's a picture word. It comes from a Roman agricultural implement called a tribulum. A tribulum was uh, composed of two poles, one about so high and a shorter one with a leather hinge. And the tribulum was used when the Romans brought in the harvest. They grew a great deal of wheat in their areas. 
and having cut the, the stalks, they brought the, the stalks of wheat in with the grain in the ears. They were piled on a garner floor. Then they would get a band of men, each one with a tribulum over his shoulder. And these muscular guys would swing back and then, in turn, swing up. And as the short pole reached the apex, it beat down on the wheat. And the next one would beat down and beat down and beat down. So if you were there, you'd hear this all the time. Loosening the grains in the ear. Now, tribulation comes from that type of thing. It's one blow after another. It doesn't break any bones. It doesn't draw any blood. But it just keeps on coming into your life until you feel like shouting, Oh God, not again, not again. That's tribulation. Now, these people would have a lot of tribulation. But you'll notice we glory in tribulation. That doesn't mean to say, oh, goody, goody, here's some more trouble. It means they could cope, they could handle it. And they found glory in tribulation. And the reason why they found glory in tribulation, you'll find in a moment, because they had the living Christ. And wherever Jesus is, is glory. You remember, it'll be Christmas soon, seven weeks. Now, how many weeks to Christmas? Such a few weeks. Terrifying thought, isn't it? Such a few weeks to Christmas. The angels sang, glory to God. Why glory? Because Jesus was there. Wherever Jesus is, there is the potential for glory. If he dwells in your heart, you have all the potential for, not for grousing, but for glory. And these people, practicing the presence of Christ, the harder it became, the more they rested in Christ, the more glory there was. See, you'll find it's all because of the living Christ. They had peace. They could stand. They had joy. They could cope with tribulation. And it goes on to describe the things that come. And you'll find most of these things are missing in our lives today. We have all the conveniences and affluence that these people never, under, never knew. And yet, we miss out on peace. We can't stand joy. Ha <laughs> you must be joking. And handling problems. And yet, you are complete in Christ. You're complete for all the peace you need, for all the standing you need, for all the joy you need, for all the capacity for handling life, for all you need in Christ. And these people could do it. And we can't. See, I'm talking in this message on the missing experience in your life. The Bible says you are complete. You are. God has nothing more for you. Don't go searching for other things to handle these issues of pressure and standing and joy. They're nowhere. They're all in Christ. You're complete in Christ. Well, if it if it is so, and if Christ dwells in my heart, why don't I have this? Why do I miss out on this? Well, that's the great question. That leads us on to turn over and look at other verses. I'm reading in verses 8 and 9 and 10. 
Now, these three verses we had with the students this morning, but they can do with it being repeated. Uh, we could do with a message on these every day for about a couple of years, then we might sink in. This is the whole key to completeness in living. You don't need a, a Bible school education or a seminary education. You don't need any education. All you need to do is to get involved with the Christ whom God has provided. You are complete in Christ. Reading verse 8. God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Notice this verse is in the past tense. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Some people are rather bothered, and maybe you are. You say, well, I don't see how Jesus dying nearly 2,000 years ago could uh, forgive my, my sins in the future. You see, he died for all your sin, past, present, and future. All your sins are forgiven because Jesus died for you. And I hear people saying, well, I don't understand how Jesus could die for all the sins I haven't committed yet. The answer is very simple. When Jesus died on the cross, all your sins were future. You were future. America was future. His hill was future. You were future. The whole family was future. Don't try to rationalize the mind of God. You see, one way to understand all this kind of thing is to realize that God doesn't live in time. God has no past, no present, and no future. It's Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. If you can realize that this is the day of grace, not the days of grace. In the sight of heaven, this is the same day that Jesus died. It's the day of grace, not the days of grace. Don't try and fit God into your three pounds of... Don't think that your three pounds of grey matter, your brain, can understand the total uh, economy of God. It's impossible. That is why simple people and tribal people just take it and, and accept it. So here is the first tremendous truth in verse 8. My sins are forgiven because Jesus died for me, who his own self bare my own sins in his own body on the tree. All gone. We used to sing a chorus in England long ago, gone, 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 gone. Yes, my sins are gone. Tremendous chorus. They're gone for the past, the present, for all time. They're all gone. Tremendous thought. Now, we were talking some friends just yesterday or the day before about denominations that all they accept as truth is verse 8. They will say, sure, you know, Christ died for our sins. But that's all they will accept. Look, for example, at verse 9. Verse 9 begins with two simple words, much more. There is much more than having your sins forgiven. See, much more than being now justified by his blood. We shall be, future tense, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Because I am justified by his blood, again the death of Christ, there is no great white throne for me, there's a home in heaven for me. 
Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are a couple of, not one, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And so verse 9 is the future. Because Jesus died for me, my sins are forgiven. Because I am justified by his blood, I have a home in heaven. Now having said that, now this is where the whole message turns on this one fact now. This is what many Christians call being saved. There are some of you listening now or later on by tape. And if I asked you if you were saved, you'd say, yes, thank God I am. What do you mean? Well, my sins are forgiven, I've got a home in heaven. That isn't being saved. Look at verse 10. This is the most important verse in my life. I told you the second most, this is the first most. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Notice reconciliation is by the death of Christ. And reconciliation includes sins forgiven and a home in heaven. Notice, I am reconciled to God, not God to me. I am the guilty party. I am reconciled to God by the death of his son. Notice the next two words. Much more. Now, this is what so many Christians don't know. They think that God's salvation, that they limit God's salvation to the death of Christ. Thank God that is true. He did die for us. My sins are forgiven. I do have a home in heaven. Thank God for that. But that's only half of God's salvation. See, there's much more than that. Verse 10 goes on says, Being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Or, as uh, the Amplified says, we'll be daily delivered from sin's dominion by his resurrection life. Now, please notice the grammar and the arrangement of the words in verse 10. Notice, please, you're not saved by the death of Christ. I know it sounds wrong, but I'm talking from the word of God. You're reconciled by his death. You're saved by what? By his life. See the simplicity. I am reconciled by the death of Christ so that I can go on to be saved by his life. I'm reconciled by his death so that I can be saved by his life. Now that is being complete in Christ. The past, the future and a present. God's salvation is a twofold presentation, a twofold offer of Christ. There's the death of Christ and the life of Christ. Now, every Christian, every believer has been involved at the cross. We, we realize, we believe that Jesus died for us, and our sins are forgiven, and we have a home in heaven. We accept that. We, we think that is it. It isn't. It's only one side of the coin. The coin of salvation has two sides. One side is the death of Christ, the other side is the life of Christ. Now the reason why these people in Romans 5 could live those kind of lives, you notice now with the, uh, the peace 
understanding and the joy and the reality in tribulation, they were involved with a total Christ. They had no Bibles, no hymn books, no nothing. All they had was Christ. It's all they had. They were complete in Christ. That's why you find Paul using their language. For me to live, what? Is Christ. I can do all things. How? Through Christ. That's the language of the early church in the book of Acts. For me to live is not trying to be a little Jesus. Not copying Jesus. For me to live is Christ. You see, before you became a believer, you had your old fallen human nature. You lived in you and I lived in me. We had a fallen human nature. And all a fallen human nature can do is fall. And all you do to it, it will never make it rise. All it can do is fall. But when you became a Christian, a believer, you were made a partaker of the divine nature. That's what Peter says. John says, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. They all say the same thing. When I became a Christian, Christ came to indwell me by his Holy Spirit. So I have two natures. I have my own nature and I have the divine nature. I know it sounds uh, scary, but that's the truth. I am, you are a partaker of the divine nature. Romans 8, 9 says, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, then he is none of his. And if you are a Christian listening by tape, then Christ indwells you. And he lives in you so that he can go on to finish what he began at the cross. That's why the second verse I told you is so important. Colossians 2, 6, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him. I became a Christian by receiving all there was in the death of Christ. And all there was was sins forgiven and a home in heaven. That's how I became a Christian, by receiving all that there was. Now, as you have received, so you walk day by day. You go on receiving all there is in the life of Christ. Now that is being complete in Christ. That's how these people lived. Complete lives. Now this is the missing experience in so many of our lives. Honest, sincere, lovely people. I meet them in pastors' conferences. I meet them in missionary conferences. Twice in my Christian experience as a preacher to missionaries on the field, I've met two, in two cases, missionaries who were contemplating suicide. One was in Africa, one was in Hong Kong. One was a German, one was a, a Norwegian. And they each said the same thing. I've done everything I can. I've struggled. I've given. I, there's nothing more I can do. I might as well finish it. They were physically run down, of course, and then the devil steps in and tells them they're not worth living, and they agree with them, of course. All I could say was, isn't it good you've found that at last? That, that you can't cope? Now, why don't you stand aside and let Christ take over? You see, when I was saved, they said to me, now young man, I was in my twenties, now young man, out you go and live for Jesus. And scads of Christians are told the same thing, out you go and live for Jesus. And once you tell someone to do that, you condemn them to failure. Because that isn't God's plan. You didn't die for Jesus. He died for you. 
And the one who died for you, he now he lives in you. And he wants to live in you and for you and through you. Now that's the missing experience of being complete. Some Christians I meet, their favorite hymn is, When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. In other words, there's no rejoicing down here. We chase happiness, but there's no joy. You see, it's so utterly simple. I almost feel like banging some people's heads together sometimes. They're trying to find some complicated workout. If I can do six handstands and four backflips and do this and this, then I'll be, I'll be this. It isn't. This is why so often tribal people and people, as in the early church, that they couldn't make it. You gladly came to the cross. You gladly believe. Believe means receive. You receive Christ in all his death and you were reconciled. Now, you were reconciled by his death so that you could now go on and be saved by his life. But we try and do the saving business ourselves. Like Paul said to the Galatians, crazy bunch, you began by faith, now you're living by works. There are many Christians who are saved by faith and they live by works. They want to try and do it. They want to try harder and do this and this and this. It's interesting, and we haven't time now, but there's a great deal about works for Christians in the New Testament. Especially in Titus and some of those pastoral epistles. Tremendous emphasis on good works. But we aren't saved by good works. We're saved for good works. As Christ indwells us, then he takes us and uses us. But there's so much glorious, sublime truth in this totality of Christ. You see, every one of us knows that on the cross he was the sin bearer. We know that for sure. On the cross he was the sin bearer by his reconciling death. But you see, in the crisis and day by day, Jesus is the burden bearer by his saving life. Did you know that? Jesus is the burden bearer. And many of you are bearing burdens God never intended you to bear. You don't bear your own sins, Jesus bore them. You don't bear your own burdens, Jesus wants to bear them for you by his indwelling Holy Spirit. But it's almost as if the devil says, well, if you're going to get saved, just get half of it. And so you'll get to heaven when you die, washed up on the shores of heaven maybe. But God never saved you to be a failure. Many of us are. God saved you to walk tall and clean and true. How? I can do all things through Christ who dynamics within me. It's this tremendous centrality of Christ. And this is the missing experience in so many of our lives. And the tragedy is you find utterly sincere people. Not backsiders, not layabouts, utterly sincere people who love the Lord, trying so hard to be good Christians and be effective Sunday school teachers and do this and do this. And they'll never make it. Because God didn't plan it that way. When all else fails, what? Read the instructions. When all else fails, read the instructions. 
And that's the missing experience. That's the first message. Now we'll go on tomorrow morning and each time be something missing in your life.